0: a long way away so I'll talk to pastor. <laughs> oh, it's so lovely to be able to come and share the word of God with you this morning. We're going through the book of Ecclesiastes. There was a an outline that was uh, in the middle of your um, your announcer, your weekly newsletter. It might be worth looking at because this is a rather large chunk of of scripture and it helps to see and to break it down and to see where I'm actually heading and where the scripture is heading. It's also been pointed out to me that uh, I spelled happiness wrong. Who who picked that up? Anybody? A lot of people. Well done. The reason I spelled it like that is because you might be aware of a a movie called The Pursuit of Happiness. Does that ring a bell now? Have you ever seen that movie, The Pursuit of Happiness? Well, that's how they spelled happiness. And so I put that up the top. But if you're aware of this movie called Pursuit of Happiness, then you'll have a general idea of the premise of the movie is that if you have money, you can be happy. That's, that's the premise of, of that movie. During the movie, Chris Gardner loses his wife and his home and to a certain extent, his little boy, But, like all feel good movies, it wouldn't be a a good movie to put on if it didn't end in a good way. In the end, Chris gets his money and all is well. And that's why it's a feel good movie. But I want to tell you if Solomon were here this morning, he'd say that the problem with that movie is that pursuing happiness down the road of pleasure doesn't work. In fact, there are many who have travelled down the the money and pleasure path and I think if they were here this morning also, they'd testify that a true sense of contentment, I'm talking about a true sense of contentment, a true sense of fulfilment in your life, a true sense of being satisfied in your life are not found down the path of money and pleasure. There might be a lot of fun on the way, but no real joy, no contentment, no satisfaction. The story of a man who won a $40 million lottery two years later said, Life is boring. King Solomon, with all his wealth and all his wisdom, explored the road of pleasure probably as thoroughly as any human being who ever lived. He tells his story for us in the book of Ecclesiastes and that's why this book is such a wonderful reminder of the pursuit of happiness not being all it's cracked up to be. This morning we're going to look at several areas where Solomon tried to find fulfilment, tried to find contentment and if you're in the book of Ecclesiastes with me or just have a look at your outline, we're going to see a few things. We're going to see that he tried... Wine, women and song. We're going to see that he tried to work. We're going to see that he tried to gain knowledge. So let's first have a look at chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Wine, women and song. I said to myself, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. I said of laughter, it is madness. And of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under the heaven for the few years of their lives. Now, I want to just stop there and remind you for those who weren't with us or with me uh, a month ago when we did chapter 1 that this whole book is premised on that phrase under the sun or under heaven. If you don't understand what that means then you're going to miss the, 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 what the whole idea of the book is. So I just wanted to reiterate to you what under the sun or under heaven means so that for those of you who missed out on the first chapter will understand Just turn to the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, right where he starts. He says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? And that's where we started last time. To put it simply, under the sun, under the heaven... What we worked out last time is that life without God. Life with God just placed out of the picture. He's not in the picture. And so what Solomon is doing is exploring life and certainly exploring pleasure in chapter 2 Without God. And so that's what under the heaven or under the sun means in this book. He's meant it, and I'm afraid every time you read it you could just simply put Life without God. And we'll see that, how he brings God into it in his conclusions because there are conclusions. You'll see that on your, on your outline. So going back to verse 3, just after that simple explanation, he said, As I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven for the few years of their lives. In other words, things that men could do without God in the picture for the few years of our lives. This is what he tried, verse 4, I enlarged my works, I built houses for myself, I planted vineyards for myself, I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted them in all kinds of fruit trees, I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and I had home-born slaves. Also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labour, and this was my reward for all my labor. Understand that Solomon was a man of great wealth. Some of us might like to think that, we, that whatever our eyes pleasure we can do, but this man could do it. He used his wealth to search out life and in this particular case to search out pleasure. He tried wine, women and song. He dabbled in different hobbies and activities. He enjoyed himself. He laughed. He stimulated his body with wine. He built houses. A lot of people today seem to think if you're going to make it in life, you're going to have to build houses. The one you lived in and buy many other houses, he planted vineyards, he planted gardens, he had a park. Maybe it was Solomon's Park. He had fruit trees. and Then he made a pond to water all of it. He collected silver and gold and treasures from other kings. He had flocks of animals greater than anyone before him. He had male and female singers performing for for him and he provided the pleasures of men, concubines. The summary of his quest is found in verse 10. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. And he could do it because he was rich beyond imagination. Anytime, every time Solomon saw something he wanted, he took it. Every time he wanted to do something, he did it. I want you to be honest now in your own hearts and I wonder how many of us dream of being able to do that. To have that ability just to take, we see something, I'd I'd like that, I'm going to get it. Be honest, how many of us dream to be able to do that? You're walking down the street and you see a great Holden Ute with all the, the mags and all the flashy things and instantly you want it. No? Maybe that's my dream. But we all do. Maybe we all think about it, I'm sure. Maybe you have a dream of your own that's out of reach. <coughs> well, it's not out of reach for Solomon. All that his eyes desired, he did it. He did not withhold from any pleasure yet when the party was over and King Solomon sat down in his wonderful lounge room with his big flat screen TV and surround sound when he sat down he examined it and his heart was empty dissatisfied pleasure and laughter were only vanity uselessness remember what vanity is? Just a vapor; it's gone. I don't know if you ever have baths or soap, but if you have bath a soap, soapy bath, and all the bubbles are gone after a while. That's just like him. So many soap bubbles that quickly burst and it left nothing behind. And that's what Solomon came to. He found delight in the things that he said, but after when he can. Considered all the pleasures, he saw vanity and vexation. I love that word, vexation. He was vexed. The journey was a pleasure, but the destination brought pain. Look at verse 11. You see his conclusion. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labour which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity. All was striving after wind. And there was no profit under the sun. There was no prophet without God in it. Like I said last time, I want you to understand that what Solomon is saying is there's nothing wrong with pleasure. There's nothing wrong with laughter. In fact, at the end of the book, in his conclusion in chapter 12, Solomon will tell us in no uncertain terms that we are to enjoy God's blessings during the years of our youth before old age arrives and the body begins to fall apart. That's what he says. So us, whose bodies are falling apart, tell the youth you can enjoy life. The pleasures are there. We'll see in a little bit later that these are God's pleasures. His conclusion is, enjoy them during your youth, before old age arrives and your body begins to fall apart. But when pleasure is sought under the sun, when pleasure is sought apart from God, when pleasure alone is the centre of your life, the result will be disappointment and emptiness and vanity and chasing after the wind. There's no profit under the sun, as Solomon tells us. The New Living Translation says there's nothing really worthwhile, there's nothing... There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere, is the conclusion, the New Living Translation says. I'm not going to deny that, af- that apart from God, pleasures do bring temporary elation. And you know that. You know pleasures do bring elation, but it's only temporary. Solomon did find pleasure in his in his hard work. But when he sat back and realized the activities of his hand had All he had done, it was vanity. So how do we find lasting satisfaction? How do we find this contentment? Let me tell you, according to Solomon, it's not under the sun. It's not without God. For us today, if we want to find true happiness, and I'm talking about us as Christians, if we want to find true happiness... And even if you're here as not a Christian today, the only way you will find true happiness is in Jesus Christ our Lord. We need to begin to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and seek to obey His commands and contentment and satisfaction will be your goal. That way we really start to experience what life can really offer and we we find true contentment. You can build houses, you can build parks, you can plant gardens, you can do everything Solomon did, but only true contentment and true happiness is found in Jesus Christ. So he looked at wine, women and song But he still has a a journey down the path of pleasure. So Solomon now, after that uh, decision in verse 11 that he found that there was no prophet under the sun, he decided that he wants to turn to wisdom and to study and to, to look at improving his mind and to learn as much as he can. And we see that in verses 12 to 17. Now any parent would be delighted if their child made that decision. Mum and dad... I've decided to quit goofing around and I'm going to buckle down and I'm going to study and I'm going to work hard. But surprisingly, Solomon concludes that that too is a dead end. Again, like before, we'll see that studying, trying to improve yourself, trying to improve your mind isn't bad of its, in and of itself. But remember, this is about the pursuit of people who are under the sun. This is without God in the picture. In fact, Solomon does see the need for wisdom. Look at verse 12. So I turned to consider wisdom, madness and folly. For what will the man do who will come after the king except that has already been done? And I saw that wisdom excels folly As light excels darkness. So obviously, to Solomon, it was better to be wise than to be a fool. Wisdom excels folly as light exceeds darkness. And I'm sure most of us would agree that to be wise and have knowledge is a great thing and a good thing. Certainly better to be wise and knowledgeable than a fool. But Solomon will discover that his path of wisdom and education was a dead end as well. Verse 14 The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I know that one fate befalls them both. Then I said to myself, As is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, This too is vanity. In the final analysis, wisdom and education without God really have no more to offer than foolishness and ignorance. Now, that sounds like an extreme statement, but I want you to think about those who are not, that you know, that are not Christian, who have master, master's degrees or PhDs and have gone through university to the highest degree. Do you think they're fulfilled people just because they have a PhD? Do you think education and learning makes us a better person? Just turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26 and we'll see what that scripture says. 1 Corinthians 1 26. You should have 1 Corinthians marked in your Bible. You should be there ready to go. The pastor's already touched on this. that no flesh should glory in his presence. See, we're a part of a society now that says education is the key to solving your problems. Stay on to year 12. Go to university, even though you have no idea what you want to do, go there anyway, because you need the education. And our society is now heading in that direction. But it takes more than a degree to improve a a nation's soul. Education by itself cannot turn people into into good people or bad people into good people. Again, understand there is indeed value in learning. There is value in education. Wisdom and education are, are preferred to foolishness and ignorance. Solomon is not saying otherwise. But no matter how much education might improve our lives on this earth, when death strikes... Our wisdom and knowledge are irrelevant. And that's what verse 16 and 17 says. For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten, and how the wise man and the fool alike die. So I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun without God was grievous to me because everything is futility and striving after wind. People who attain great knowledge and wisdom are not necessarily fulfilled and will die like everyone else. And Solomon concludes that education by itself under the sun is not a great path to follow either. It's not one that leads to true happiness. It's not one that leads to to satisfaction because everything is futility and striving after the wind is Solomon's conclusion. And so he leaves that path as well. And he heads down another path, the path of hard work. Verses 18 to 23. But even in this, Solomon will discover that work by itself... If you have a great career, will not make you truly happy or content. Work, by itself cannot provide true satisfaction in life. Also in these verses, which we'll read from verse 18, we're going to see that not, there's not even satisfaction in knowing that your children and heir will enjoy the fruit of the labor when he dies. Look at verse 18. He says, Thus I hated all the fruit of my labour for which I had laboured under the sun. You see how much he's using that phrase? It'll continue all the way through. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labour for which I had laboured under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool? Yet he will have control, control over all the fruit of my labour for which I have laboured, by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Therefore I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labour for which I had laboured under the sun. When there is a man who has laboured with wisdom, knowledge and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not laboured with them. This too is vanity and great evil. I think history will tell you that inherited wealth is seldom used wisely. And Solomon understands that if our whole working life is is simply to achieve an inheritance for those left behind, there is little joy. In fact, it says it's vanity and even a great evil. He adds that on the end this time. There is no joy, it is vanity, leaving a huge inheritance to children as Solomon puts it in verse 19, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool anyway. Solomon says, hard work and success offer little real satisfaction in themselves and there's no rest. Look at verse 22. For what does a man get in all his labour and in his striving with which he labours under the sun? Because all his days, his task is painful and grievous. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. I wondered if you caught that, you 90, 100 hour week person who works. I know we have to sometimes, but did you catch it? Even at night, we're not often able to escape from work. My Guess is, the more successful we are at a job, the harder it is not to bring work home. But even the most successful worker, working and labouring under the sun, dies, leaving an inheritance, providing limited comfort. And Solomon concludes that hard work by itself, under the sun, again in verse 22, using the phrase, which he labours under the sun, is another dead-end road. So where do we do? What do we do? No pleasure, no education. Do we work? Do we go to, to school? Do we seek pleasure? Look at his conclusion in verse 24. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labour is good. This also I have seen that is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without Him? What a great conclusion. Of all those paths that he went down, he wrote a conclusion. Who can eat and who can have enjoyment without Him? The answer to the question as a rhetorical question is no one can. Without God there is no true joy in life. And I'm not being mean or rude here when I say that we in this room probably, probably leave a ver- lead a very ordinary, non-spectacular life. But there's nothing wrong with that because it can be the source of great joy when we're following and trusting the Lord, no matter what you're doing. Verse 26, for to a person who is good in his sight he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. Enjoying the rewards of our labour, enjoying going fishing or playing golf or planting a garden are all very fulfilling activities. Having genuine wisdom and knowledge are all wonderful things if we, we, we remember that these gifts are from God. Verse 26 again, for a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. It all comes from God. I thought I'd bring, better bring out the fact that it, who is good in the sight of God. I wonder if that entered your mind as you read that. For to a good person or to a person who is good, In his sight, he has given wisdom. You'd want to make sure you're a good person in his sight, wouldn't you? So what does that mean today? Romans 3.12, I know you know that pretty much off by heart, says there is none good, not even one. So how in the world are we going to take verse 26 of Ecclesiastes? That means no one is going to be good or given wisdom and knowledge in God because no one's good. Well, then we come to Romans chapter 5. You might like to turn there with me. <coughs> Just a few verses. No one is good. We know that. The scripture tells us that. But verse, chapter 5, a wonderful chapter. I'm not going to read it all. Verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died died for the ungodly. Verse 12, therefore just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no, no law. Nevertheless death reigned from Adam until Moses even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offence of Adam who is the type of him who was to come we have found peace with god so who is a person who is in, sorry who is a person who is good in the sight of the lord only born again believers Amen. only those through the shed blood of our lord jesus christ have come to that decision. For to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. As you read that verse in Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, as it comes into the New Testament where we are, it means that all of us need to make becoming godly the priority in our life. Not searching for pleasure or joy or building houses or, uh, or seeking knowledge or having a wonderful career, that's not what we should be seeking, according to Solomon. It is good for parents to encourage our children to study and work hard. And I hope as parents we do that. It is very good to prioritise education and it's great to have a a great career. However, as parents... It's so much more important to encourage our children to follow the Lord rather than follow those other aspects of life. So no matter what you're studying to be, no matter what career you have right now, the most important priority in life should be to be a godly man or woman and to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Just before we leave this section, look at verse 26 again. I didn't read it all intentionally. For to to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, while to the sinner he has given the task of gathering and collecting so that he may give to the one who is good in God's sight. This too is vanity and striving after wind. I love that. The sinners are putting stuff together for us. The world thinks it's building a fortune for itself but according to this scripture ultimately Christians will benefit from most of it. Those who are good in God's sight. But to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting. I wonder if you can think of any examples. Those who are doing Exodus, what about the example when they left? When they, when they all left the, the Egypt, what did the Egyptians do? Gave them all their wealth. One example that might be close to our home is, is Oakton Baptist Church. I'll never forget that. The Department of Agriculture have a, had a massive property. All the buildings, everything was there, the sheds, but they didn't need it anymore. So who was the beneficiary of it? Christians. At a very minimal price and now there's a massive school, a massive church, it's all there. Maybe you have other examples of Sinners who are collecting and gathering so that they may give it to the one who is good in God's sight. Maybe in your work situations. The irony is that those who are right with God derive benefits from sinners. It should be an encouragement to us as we look at those three areas that Solomon has pursued. I want to quickly go into chapter 3. I know we're getting on in time, but I suppose you've learnt since I speak, and Jeff's no better, don't put your roast on before you come to to church because it's going to get burnt. I want to go into chapter 3 because Solomon continues his quest for meaning and happiness in life and he now reflects on time itself. We all understand that. The seconds and minutes and hours and the days and the weeks and the years all go by so quickly. Yet Solomon wonders, are we really getting anywhere with time? Is there any way to use our time which will give us fulfilment in life? There's a Peanuts cartoon where Sally and Charlie Brown are waiting at the, at the bus stop. And Sally says, someday there's going to be a monument here and you know what's going to be on it? Charlie didn't respond to Sally, so she continued, It will read, This is where Sally Brown wasted the best years of her life, waiting for the school bus. Charlie Brown then asked his sister, What would you have done with all this wasted time? And Sally replied, Slept another 15 minutes in the morning. I think all of us struggle with the same question Solomon did. Is there any way of using time that is not a waste? Look at chapter 3, verses 1 and to 8. There is an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. a time to search and a time to give up as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war. And a time for peace. When I mentioned that uh, I was going to talk on this, I think Pete said, Oh, you, you're talking about the birds song. I didn't even know who the birds were. I, I think it was uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary sang this for me. So um, this is where that song came from. It's quite the sum of life. Fourteen pairs of opposites in eight verses, covering everything in life the good, the bad, and the ugly, all of which we experience through all sorts of different ways. But Solomon asks, where does this get us? Look at verse 9. What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? What do people really get out of their hard work? All this time, there's a time for everything. The implied answer is not very much. I'm not going to go through verses 1 to 8 and look at each section because the whole lot is simply there for Solomon to show us when you look at the big picture of life the clock keeps ticking. We use up to 86,400 seconds per day but I wonder if it seems like you're getting nowhere. What Solomon is saying in these verses is that life has cycles. That's all he's saying. He's simply saying, if we're laughing today, you know that tomorrow you could be crying. That's the cycle of life. If you're born today, the cycle of life will mean that you will die. If you're born, there's a time to talk and there's a time to be silent. The moving on of time excludes us from holding on to the things which bring us joy, There is time to live, but time moves on and then we die. See, I go on holidays. I'm having a great time, but then I start to think that in four days I have to go back to work and that's the end of the holiday. There's a time for everything. And we sometimes have a difficult time really enjoying life because even if things are going well, we're afraid that it's not going to last. And the question from verse 9 is, does it really matter how you spend your time? If all these things are going to happen, there's an appointed time for everything anyway. Does it matter how you spend the time that you have? Well, Solomon says it certainly does. And he says that in verses 10 and 11. He says, I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning to the end. I'll give you the New Living Translation. It seems to make it a little bit more uh, clarified. I have seen the burden God has placed on us all, Solomon's conclusion is. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart but even so people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. He is indeed a wise man, our Solomon. These two verses can be can be summed up in one phrase. God is sovereign over time. There's a time for every purpose. God is sovereign. He is the eternal God. Years Decades, centuries, millenniums will go by, but he will continue to carry out his purpose. What does verse 10 say? I have seen the burden God has placed on us all, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. We all will begin to find fulfilment and satisfaction in life when we understand and start to understand and experience time under God's direction, under God's lordship. Our priorities should be to use our times in ways that are eternally significant because God has placed eternity in your heart. Now God certainly wants us to do things like go to work, to wash the dishes, to mow the lawns. They're responsibilities God has given us. But besides those things, we need to do things in our lives which will matter, not just 20 minutes from now, but 20 years from now. We need to be doing things which will matter in eternity is what Solomon is saying. In fact, he says in verse 11 that God has put eternity in our hearts. What does that mean? I find Chuck Swindoll's explanation of that verse quite revealing. I couldn't find a better explanation. When God says that God has placed eternity in our hearts, this is what Chuck Swindoll said. He says, this means that you and I are not really ready to handle life until we are ready to face death. When we get eternally secured in place, it's remarkable what it will do to our time. It's time to come to terms with with eternity, I thought that was a wonderful phrase on this Ecclesiastes passage that God has placed eternity in our heart. The Bible says that we will either spend eternity with the Lord in glory or we will experience His eternal wrath in hell. That is the only two outcomes of life. And the Bible promises those who trust in Jesus Christ as Saviour will experience the Lord in glory in eternal life. Amen? Amen? And That's why it's so important that each one of us is certain that you are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ now and not anything else. You must be certain. You have to be certain. And if you're not certain, then you need to speak to someone to clarify it because satan will throw darts and you need to have the armor of god and so if you're not sure if there is doubt speak to someone speak to pastor speak to me speak to peter speak to any of the elders speak to your friends who are born again believers you must be sure Eternity in our hearts means we have a God-given desire or should have a God-given desire to make a difference for eternity. And we do that when we develop an eternal perspective on life and devote our time and our energies to the things that will have lasting significance. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6, and I know you know this passage, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm sure he got that from Solomon. God has placed eternity in our hearts and we need to then take Jesus' advice and store up our treasures in eternity because that's where your heart will be if you do so. (coughs) Solomon has warned us that spending our time just trying to have fun, just planting uh, vineyards or building houses, just trying to be successful, just trying to be more educated without God are just dead ends. It's meaningless. But with God we have verses 12 to 15, which is what I'm going to close with. This is the second conclusion of of Solomon's in this section. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labour. It is the gift of God. See, it's not without God Everything you have is the gift of God. If you look at it that way, your education, your work, your your housing, whatever you're doing, every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labour, it is the gift of God. I know that, verse 14, I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it and there is nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear Him that which has been already and that which will be will be has already been for god seeks what has passed by god has entrusted you and i with 24 hours a day it's to be used to please him in our work in our career whatever we're doing even when we're fishing It's used to please Him, to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. The only way to find true satisfaction in life is to use our time on things that matter in eternity. And that's what Solomon is saying through all this passage. So each of us need to realise that God has entrusted us with 24 hours which are to be used for His glory. We need to sit down and look at our schedule. We need to make sure that we're using the hours that we have in a way that pleases Him. It's not an easy thing to do, but it is important. We need to learn to be good stewards of our time. Why? The end of verse 15 says, God requires an account of what is past. Swindoll finishes by simply saying, if you are not absolutely sure that at the breathing of your last breath you have heaven as your destiny, you're not ready, you're not really even ready to live. I really love that. If you are not absolutely sure that at the breathing of your last breath you have heaven as your destiny, you're not really even ready to live. We're going to sing a song that we've already sung this morning, if I ask Pete to come up and, and the ladies and our musicians, we're going to sing Salvation's song again. The chorus says, so with every breath I am given, I will sing Salvation's song. I wonder if we, as we sing this song now, you will see the words in a different light in the understanding of what Solomon has already said to us. Let's stand, sing this contemplatively, reflecting on what we have heard this morning.